Um, last week on, I guess Thursday, we started looking at a sermon from Jesus, which we call his Upper Room Discourse. Um, the Upper Room Discourse um, really spans John... Man, my markers are all dead. Uh, what chapters did I give you for it? What did I tell you for it? Thirteen through seventeen. Wow, I can't believe that, right? Okay, thirteen through seventeen. Um, you know, really, uh, kind of picks up in fourteen. Thirteen is a lot of um, like he's washing their feet, Last Supper type stuff. Uh, chapter fourteen is really where he starts. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, really starts teaching. Um, so you could you could think kind of roughly thirteen through. Uh, uh, 17, 14 through 17. Uh, any test question will be kind of general enough where you'll, you'll, you'll know what it is. Um, you know, if I, the test question on that would be something like, what's the sermon Jesus gave, you know, his last day before being crucified? Um, all of this is happening the night before his betrayal. So, uh, you know, you, you should be able to figure that out, um, what, what we mean there. So the Upper Room Discourse... Um, the uh, Jesus kind of starts it off in fourteen one by saying, "Don't let your hearts be troubled." Uh, and so uh, the disciples are troubled. Jesus keeps talking about going away, and they don't like that very much. Um, and one of the big points that he's making in this sermon is that it is better that he goes away. Um, where is he going away to? Heaven. Heaven, right? He's going to die, he's going to be resurrected, then he's going to ascend into heaven. Um, and he starts giving them different reasons why it's better that he goes away. What were some of those that I gave you last week? The helper. All right, he's going to send the helper. Uh, who is the helper? That's the Holy Spirit. Uh, and what are some of the things that are great about the Holy Spirit? What will the Spirit do? He's with you forever. Yeah, always with you. Um, and how is he with you? Yeah, in, in, in this indwelling idea. Um, you know, I'm not really explaining totally what that means at this point, because... Jesus is kind of introducing that concept to us. Um, we, he's not really taking a whole lot of time to flesh it out. Uh, this idea of the Spirit indwelling us is something that will really be explained in a lot more detail in the book of Acts and then in a book like Romans. Uh, and so I'm not, I'm not giving you all of the details on what that means quite yet. We'll have to wait. Um, what else does the Spirit do? Yeah, he, he brings Jesus' words uh, to mind. He's a teacher, okay? Uh, why else is it good that Jesus goes away according to this sermon? What else does he tell the disciples? Ashley? Yeah, um, where he's going, they're going to be able to come too. Uh, the analogy that is going to be used in Scripture for this is um, the book of Hebrews will say that Jesus is our pioneer. You guys know what a pioneer is? 
Yeah, someone who paves the way first, right? So, um, you know, uh, whenever the United States was expanding west, there were a bunch of pioneers that went out there. Uh, we don't know what the land is like. We don't know what type of animals or what type of people are out there. There's no paths. And so the pioneers go out and, and they kind of make the way ready in a sense. Uh, you, you're able to then walk in their footsteps. It, it's kind of like um, anybody ever been... Um, Anybody ever been walking a uh, big rainstorm and there's like mud all over the ground, but then there's like patches of gravel or grass and you're like trying to walk and not step in the mud? Okay, sometimes um, like if you were a little kid, your, your mom or dad maybe said, no, I want you to put your foot exactly where you see me put mine, right? You, you aren't really smart enough to figure out how not to walk in the mud yet. And so you just put your foot exactly where your mom did. Anybody ever do that, right? Yeah. So that's kind of the idea of a pioneer. Jesus is going up into heaven, and he's kind of a pioneer. Uh, the path that he goes on, the, the thing that he does here, his disciples will be able to do le- later on. And so uh, John 14, he's saying, I'm going to make a place ready for you. Uh, well, how do we know how to get there, Jesus? He says, I am the way. You know, you know follow what I do. I'll be the one who gets you there. So, um, where he goes, they will go. All right, what else did he say? I gave you another one, I think, right? You only have three. I have that he sits on the throne of the Father, but that was yeah. the only other thing I have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus is also going to sit on the throne of the Father. Uh, um, by the way, uh, it's very interesting in that text that we read on Thursday. Jesus says, whatever you ask me in, in my name, I'll give to you. All right, later, earlier on in the Gospels, he says, whatever you ask my father in my name, he'll give to you. So in like Matthew, whenever Jesus is teaching them how to pray, he says, ask anything of the father in my name, he'll give it to you. In that text, who are they supposed to pray to? The Father. Jesus says, if you ask me anything, I'll give it to you. Who are they supposed to pray to there? Jesus. Jesus. So can you pray to God the Father? Yes. Can you pray to God the Son? Jesus tells you to. Uh, We'll see a few places later in the New Testament where people do. Can you pray to the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Is the Holy Spirit fully God? Is he personal? Is he an it or a he, according to Jesus? A he. He's a, he's a person, right? You can speak with him. You can talk to him. Uh, you can pray to him. So um, these are the things that we've seen so far. They're going to have trouble in the world, but they can pray to the Father. They can pray to the Son. They can be sure that the one on the throne of the universe cares for them. They've walked with Jesus for three years. They've seen his heart. They can know that he cares for them. Where he's gone, they're going to be able to go. This is also opening the door for him to send the promised spirit. He's going to go into heaven. He's going to send the spirit. And Jesus is convinced that it is better for the disciples that the spirit be with them than he physically be there right beside them. He thinks that the the status of his people, we could say in the book of Acts, once the spirit comes, he thinks the status of his people there is better than the status of his disciples right here. Very interesting point. All right, um, we're picking up in John 16, 16. So uh, somebody read uh, 
Go ahead and flip there, John 16, 16. That's in Revelation, but it is, again, the same sort of thing. Yeah. And saying he's the Alpha and the Omega, too, um, like even without the I am part, just, just claiming to be that, that's a claim to eternality. I'm the beginning and the end. Um, you know, so, so that's a really heavy statement about his divinity, but we don't see that until the book of Revelation. Sophia? So, so he'll, he'll preach, he'll pray, and, and by that time, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he'll be betrayed. So it's the night, when I, whenever I say it's the night before his betrayal, like he's going to be betrayed kind of like uh, pretty late at night, and these are the things happening the evening before, not the day before. Okay. Right, same, same day as, I, I should have been a little bit clearer on that, same day as the betrayal. Just like the number of hours. Yeah, yeah. All right, somebody read 16, chapter 16, verses 16 through 24 for us. Gray, you're there. A little while, and you will see me no longer, and again in a little while you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? And again, oh wait, a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. So they sent. So they were saying, "What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about." Then Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, "Is this what you were asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while, and you will not see me, and again in a little while you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come." But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So earlier in the sermon, he says, ask me in my name. Here he's saying, ask the Father in my name. Um, a, a, a pretty constant theme throughout this entire sermon is, I'm going away, and you're going to be sorrowful, you're going to have trouble, um, but you don't need to be totally upset about this. It's, it's better that I'm going away. And here he, we can add a fourth thing on here. Um, are, they going, are, are they saying goodbye to him forever? No, a little while you won't see me, a little while you will see me. So they will see Jesus again. And the struggles that they're going to have, the the tribulation and, and the trouble and the distress that they're going to have, is going to ultimately work together for their joy. very interesting analogy that Jesus uses. What, what analogy does he use talking about how their trouble, their distress will turn into joy? Yeah. Um, pretty soon they're going to be experiencing some, some discomfort, some tribulation. In this world you will have 
Tribulation, he says. All right? We're about to get to that really big statement. That's actually the last verse of his, or last statement of his sermon before he prays. All right? They're, they're about to face a lot of tribulation. Jesus is going to go away. He's go- they're going to see him be crucified, first of all, but then he's going to ascend into heaven. He's going to be away. There's going to be tribulation. There's going to be sorrow. But he says, it's better for you. You need to think about this. Uh, a woman, anybody ever seen a birth? I have of a cow. Of a cow? Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. During the birthing process, are, are mamas happy? No. My hand hurt for like a week. Not a happy moment. There's screaming. There is grabbing. Um, Not a a pleasant thing. It's a painful thing. Right? Um, But right after that baby is born, most circumstances... Does the mama lay there and go, oh, that is so terrible. I hate my life. Is that what she's doing? What's she doing? Rejoicing because she has her child. Give me my baby. And she's hugging the baby and she's crying happy tears. And, oh, I love my baby. And the baby's squalling and she's kissing it after it gets cleaned off and all this stuff, right? Um, Hopefully she waits that long. So, uh, (laughs) all right. So, Jesus here is saying... All right, there will be tribulations that are coming soon. There will be sorrow that's coming soon. But what you need to remember is that your sorrow will turn to joy just like that mother's. There's going to be a a time of struggle. There's going to be a time of pain. There's going to be a time of despair. But ultimately, you need to know that this is working out together for your good. You need to know that ultimately your sorrow will be turned to joy just the same way that that mother's is. Then he finishes up his sermon. He says in verse 25, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you'll ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. Because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. That's why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? The hour is coming, indeed it has come. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Why else can they have peace and not be troubled? What has Jesus done? He's overcome the world. He's powerful enough where all of these forces working against them can be restrained and brought to to bear so, so that it's ultimately for their joy and good. 
Oh, he talks in some cryptic uh, language there. We, we don't quite get, you know, a full explanation of, of uh, the Holy Spirit. We, we don't get, uh, you know, all of these things fully explained to us. But Jesus is assuring them throughout this sermon, it is better that I go away. I wouldn't be going away if it weren't ultimately for your good. In the meantime, it might hurt and it might be hard, but ultimately it will work together for good. Have peace. And take heart. And then in chapter 17, Jesus prays over them. And this is a really interesting moment um, because the very next story that we're going to get is Jesus's betrayal and arrest. So what is one of the last things he's doing before he is arrested and taken to the cross? And praying specifically for his disciples. See what's on his heart and on his mind before the crucifixion. Um, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, which we'll, we'll cover Hebrews next semester, but Hebrews 7 says that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. Intercession is a specific type of prayer where I pray for you, okay? Uh, you have some need and I intercede for you. That, that means that I am, am praying for you. So it says in Hebrews seven twenty five, Jesus ever lives... To pray for you. Um, think about that for a minute. Um, what would maybe run through your mind if the scripture said Jesus was crucified, he died, he was buried, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and then he got there and he said, Woo, glad that's over with, and he kicked his feet up for the next 2,000 years before his return. Does he love you? Yeah. Look at what he did. He was crucified and he was raised for you. But in the meantime, right now, he's just kind of chilling. Okay, how would that, what would that maybe say about Jesus' heart towards you if that's what we read in Scripture? Versus, right now, he's in heaven at the Father's right hand and he lives to intercede for you. Why does Jesus live forever? So that he can pray for you. What would be the difference between those two? Analogy. Your parents. You turn 18. They say, legally, I fulfilled my obligation to you. I kept you alive. I gave you everything you need. I provided for you clothes, housing, food. And now you're just totally on your own. Don't come back here again. I did what I was supposed to. Is that how you want your parents to treat you? Not really. You want them to say, door's always open. If you need anything, let me know. Jesus had gone to heaven and just kicked up and kicked his feet up and, and relaxed. Would, would that kind of feel like he was treating us like a to-do list? But instead, the scriptures say that the thing that, well, you know, this is not technical language here. This is, you know, the thing that gets Jesus up every morning is to pray for you. The thing that motivates him, the thing he's passionate about is to pray for you. What does that show about him? Is he treating you like a to-do list? How's he treating you? It's like a different level of love, right? Like, like Jesus's ministry continues even after his death and resurrection. There's still stuff that he's wanting to do for you. It's not that he's just like, yes, yeah. It's not that he's just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done with them. Good luck. 
but he knows what we need, and he's constantly in heaven talking about us to the Father. You guys ever been around uh, two people that start dating? And what happens to them all of a sudden? What is their entire personality like? Yeah. Okay, your best friend starts dating this boy. And used to be, you guys would talk about, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And now every time you see him, it's just like, oh, Jimmy. You know? <laughs> no. You had to say the word Jimmy. Okay. T- Timmy? I don't know. Tobias. <laughs> oh, Tobias. You know. Um, St. Nicholas. Um, oh, past Chassius Radbertus. Uh, so... You know, they're, they're so smitten, they're so in love, they're so googly-eyed over this person. Like, it becomes their, that is just all they talk about. And the scriptures are almost presenting Jesus' love for the church in that type of way. He gets to heaven, and the only thing he wants to do, the only thing he wants to talk about is his people. He prays for us. Chapter 17 of John, he's going to pray for his disciples, not only his present disciples, but his future disciples too. And I think that this is kind of an insight into the types of prayers that Jesus continues to make for his people today. So I'm going to read this to you. And what you need to know is that this was a prayer that Jesus was praying for you. You'll hear him mention that in it. This is also the type of prayer that he prays for us uh, before his father today. It says in chapter 17, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I've given them the words that you gave to me, and they've received those words, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me, and I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. Who's the son of destruction? Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. Not the other one, right? Uh, I've guarded them, not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. 
And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made myself known to them in your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you've loved me may be in them and I in them. All right. A lot of stuff going on there. What are things you heard Jesus pray for for his people? That they be sanctified. All right. He prayed that they may be sanctified. What else? So they become one as we are one. Yeah, um, what word would we use for that? That they may have... Union? Yeah, unity. The, the, uh, oneness. They, they can have unity. Uh, okay, what else? Verse 15 has something interesting in it. Keep them from the evil one. Yeah, keep them... Um, one time he just generically says, keep them. That's earlier in the prayer. Um, but then he says, keep them from the evil one. Um, what does that remind you of? Um, the evil one, of course, would be Satan. Um, is there a text that you know that this reminds you of? Keep them from the evil one. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does he pray in that? Deliver us from evil. That word for um, the way that the, that's written in Greek, it's deliver us from the evil, the evil. So some people have argued he meant there. Um, sometimes you, you say that, like, um, like if I'm talking about a good person in Greek, I might say the good, and then you would supply in your mind the word one or person. So some people have said deliver us from the evil one. Some people have thought he just means deliver us from the evil. Just generally, there's a bunch of evil out there, so deliver us from it. Um, but yeah, it kind of is reminiscent of the Lord's Prayer. But, but these are kind of the big three that he prays for his people. Um, how one are they supposed to be? Unified. As one is God. Yeah, as one is the Father and the Son are. How one are the Father and the Son? Perfect. Perfectly one. And that's what Jesus prays for his people, that they may be one, even as I and you are one, even as the Father and the Son are one. And interestingly, um, he prays that they might be one so that, this is verse 23, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. I pray that they would be one, that they would have unity so that the rest of the world will know that the Father sent the Son and that the Father truly loves the church. So if God's people are not one, 
what will the world not know? That Jesus is sent from the Father and that the church is really loved by God. There is a proof that Jesus wants to give to the watching world. He's talked about it in chapter 13. They'll know you're my disciples by your love. And then here in chapter 17, I want the world to know that the gospel is true and there's something really going on there by the way that they love each other and the unity that they have. Um, In the book of Acts, we're going to see something really interesting. First part of the book of Acts, there's going to be miracles like crazy going on until the church starts to be established. And once the church starts to be established, there's going to be like a ton of miracles at the beginning of Acts. By the end of Acts, there's going to be hardly any. And what I think God is saying, reading uh, Acts in light of this text, is that God is saying the church is supposed to really be the sign of miracle. I think what, what God is saying is the way that he likes to give the world a proof of the trueness of the gospel is through the greatest miracle of all, which is bringing dead people to life and then bringing people who are so different and, and come from all these different walks of life into one body where there's unity and love. Um, think about Jesus' disciples for a minute. Matthew was a what? Simon was a zealot. You remember that? Did they murder each other? Right? It's supposed to be a testimony that there's something really going on here with this Jesus guy. Uh, are there a bunch of siblings? Mm-hmm. You guys get along with your siblings well? Okay. And you got all these siblings, and they're not killing each other. They found something in this Jesus guy that's bringing unity and love. So it seems to me... That as the church becomes established, God most delights, uh, like kind of the miracle he's most proud of, and the one that he thinks is going to be most persuasive to the world is not speaking in tongues, it's not healing the, the blind, it's through the loving union that Christians enjoy with each other. So Jesus prays that the church would be a place of love and a place of unity. Sanctify, um, this is a fancy word for being set apart. I pray that you would set my people apart, that their lives would be different, that they would be, another thing connected with sanctification is holiness, that they would be holy. He prays that individual Christians and also the church together would be holy, would be godly. And then he prays that they would be kept. They'd be kept away from the evil one, that they would be preserved in the faith, preserved in godliness. So here's a question. Um, How one is the will of the Father and the will of the Son? Completely. If Jesus prays this for you, do you think the Father goes, (laughs) no? So here's a situation I was in recently. You ready? Two situations I was in recently. Situation number one. I was around a person uh, who grew up during the civil rights era. You guys know what civil rights era is, right? This person grew up in Podunk, Tennessee during the civil rights era. And uh, this person to this day still does not like black people incredibly racist 
also a professing Christian. So I'm talking with this individual, and this individual says to me this statement. Black people can come up to the door of my kitchen, but they can't come one step further. I don't care if they're believers or not. Godly statement? No. No. So I responded to this person and said, you know, these people are made in the image of God. If they're believers, they're also one with you in Christ. They're people that God loves. You can't act that way. To which the person responded, I know that my attitude is unbiblical. Okay, good. But it's the way I was raised. You can't teach old dogs new tricks. So you'll just have to put up with it. What do you think about that? That he knows it's wrong and why doesn't change? Knows that it's wrong. And, And frames it, the way that this individual framed it was, I just can't do better. Can't teach old dogs new tricks. Because I was raised a certain way, so he's blaming it on his parents. Blaming it on his parents, blaming it on his upbringing, and and I can't change my ways. I've been setting my ways too long to really change. The way that I responded to this person was this. I said, you're trying to make this a statement about yourself. I'm racist. I can't change. You're trying to make it a statement about yourself, but if you really believe scripture, you're making it a statement about Jesus I said, number one, we have the idea in Scripture that Jesus died to break the power of sin over us. So you're denying that Jesus' death is powerful enough to break the hold of this sin in your life. But number two, we also have in Scripture that Jesus ever lives to pray for us. He's at the Father's right hand right now, making intercession for his people. And John 17 is a picture of that. And Jesus prayed that his people would be unified. Does he say just the the white Christians be unified? All Christians be unified. He prayed for his people's unity. He also prayed that you would be holy, that you would be obedient, that you would be a person who grows in godliness and says no to sin and yes. So you saying, I just can't teach old dogs new tricks, is not really a statement about you. You're making a statement about Jesus. And the statement that you're making about Jesus, whenever you say something like that, is his death and his prayers aren't powerful enough. person just kind of got mad and walked off. But this is a point that I want you guys to grasp from this text. The Father and the Son are one, so if the Son is praying for your holiness, then that means that you can be holy. And, and to say, you know, well, uh, there's just the sin, and I just, I just can't get over it. It's just something that this is a weakness I have. It's just a character flaw that I have, and I just need to make peace with it. You might be trying to frame that like it's a statement about you. Oh, I just can't do this. But if you're a Christian and you've put your faith in Jesus, then any time that you make a statement like that, you're really making a statement about Christ and his power. What you need to recognize is that Jesus is an omnipotent God. What does omnipotent mean? That's omniscient. Omnipotent is all-powerful. Colossians 1.5 says that Christ's power is working in us. So how much power does Jesus have? Infinite power. How much power can he work in us? As much as he needs to. 
So whatever sin issue you're struggling with, or, or maybe it's this, you know, um, uh, I'm going to, maybe you're thinking, oh man, uh, Thanksgiving's coming up, which means I'm going to be around my extended family. And that cousin's going to be there. And every time I'm around that cousin, I know that person, I just hate that person. And that person just makes me mad. And every time I'm around that person, I wind up saying something mean, saying something rude. And so I just need to make peace with the fact that this isn't going to be a good holiday. And I just, I can't help it. It's just that person's fault. No. Not according to this text. Because Christ can give us power for that. And to say something like that, you might be trying to make it out to be like, oh, I'm just weak. This is my character weakness. This is my character flaw. Any statement like that you need to recognize is really a statement about Jesus. And it's a bad statement about Jesus. It's a blasphemous statement about Jesus. Jesus is powerful enough. His grace is sufficient to help you in your weakness. So in and of yourself, can you do it? Maybe not. But if you're a Christian, you don't do it in and of yourself. What does Paul say? I can do all things through Christ who gets, and, and Paul's talking there about godliness. He's not talking about sports. He's not talking about making straight A's. He's talking about acting in a godly fashion. He says, in any and all circumstances, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can be holy in any of these ways. I can be content in any of these ways. That's a statement you need. Hmm? Paul's in prison and he's struggling with contentment. He's, he's struggling with covetousness, which he also talks about in Romans 7. And he says, I've learned the secret of contentment because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So uh, because Jesus's prayer ministry is, is with you, you can do all things through Christ who, th- who strengthens you. And say anything less is to say a, something bad about Christ. Um, the other statement kind of went along with that. I was talking to someone else two church members who have a really hard time getting along. Both of them, you know what I mean if I say type A people? They always need to be like in charge, right? And they're, they're kind of high stress and so they don't get along because both of them want to run things. And uh, I was talking to one of them and, 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 and this one individual was complaining about this other individual and there's just no unity love there and, and, and I call them on it and, 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 and they say, yeah, that's true, but you know, it's just the way it is. I just... It's just hard for us to be unified. It's just hard for us to really act in love with one another. Well, sure, it's hard. Do you believe that Jesus prays for your unity? Do you think that his prayers are powerful enough to accomplish that? So live in light of Jesus' prayer here. Um, Tomorrow we're going to pretty much wrap up the gospel. We'll we'll make a few passing comments about his crucifixion and resurrection. Uh, We've also been over that several times. So so really what we're going to focus a lot on tomorrow is post-resurrection, the stories of Jesus showing up. Uh, And then we will review on Wednesday and then test on Thursday. All right. Uh, Wednesday, you should also expect a surprise. that was the surprise. Was that you? Me? Faith? Oh. Who did that? You stole my goat? <laughs> hmm. Well.